Welcome to Emergence Care Conversations. For more information about Emergence Care, please visit our Facebook page or go to emergencecare.com. Hi, I'm with Dr. Stephen Teagarden, the developer of Emergence Care, and today we're going to talk about energy, urology, and physiology. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks, Jeff. It's great to be back. <laughs> Thanks. And <laughs> So let's just start out with um, an emergency, in an emergency care session, the, someone is laying on a table, usually face down, and someone is standing up and often moving their hands around. What's, what's happening in that process? You know, a lot of people have asked me that very same question. What is it? What, what, what's going on? And Here's the most apt metaphor that I can provide. And I had to search near and far, high and low, to find metaphors for this. And it seems that living things, I'm just going to keep it with humanity. It's just, just you know, because we could talk about other life forms, but we'll just stay with, with Homo sapiens. Okay. That surrounding the physical body are fields of energy. And these fields have been described in various cultures for thousands of years and resident within the energy fields or energy bodies there are what I call structures the, the, the field of energy closest to the physical body has a name and it's called the subtle body whereas the physical body is called the, the, the gross body this is energy and therefore it's more subtle and so it's named subtle and think of the subtle as overlying the physical or gross body and containing far more possibilities than the physical body holds. There's, if, let's say if the, just I'm giving them some kind of an arbitrary scale, let's say that the physical body had a, a creative number of, of 10 possibilities. Well, okay. in the subtle body there would be 10,000 possibilities. So there's a far greater range, if you will, of possibilities resident within this energy field that aren't being expressed. Much in the same way when people would say, oh, I'm only using X number of percentage of my, of my brain, and if I could unlock that brain's potential, I could potentially express more consciousness, more humanity, or whatever, whatever that expressive agent would be. So this subtle body has been described again for thousands of years and it holds a great deal of possibilities. What the emergence care practitioner is doing is while they're interacting with this subtle body surrounding a client, they're not trying to find, oh, there's a blockage here. Oh, there's a, there's a disconnection here or, oh, I need to bring some energy into this or I need to yank some energy out of this it's nothing like that. The idea is that if the emergence care practitioner can momentarily suspend their conscious awareness or limit their conscious awareness to allow something greater that the personal awareness blocks, to allow that, whatever it is, this something greater, you could call it Buddha mind, Christ mind, Holy Spirit, higher self, there's a lot of metaphors, great spirit, spirit, whatever that is, the idea is that the personal identity is, if you will, interfering or blocking with that. And by 
getting the personal identity out of the way, that simply flows in to that client's subtle body, into the energy, and that whatever is surrounding the client energetically must be picked up by the nervous system. It's just what takes place. It's what the nervous system does. The nervous system, much like, say, a cell phone, is a receiver. Interestingly, you have your own cell phone number. I have mine. But our nervous systems have their own unique number as well. I don't get your thoughts, and you don't get mine. You get yours, and I get mine. Much like we're communicating right now. You're in Florida, and I'm in Arizona, and somehow this is happening. And we can see and hear each other, and there's a broadcast that's being received by some receiver. The nervous system, yeah. So, uh, the, what is receiving the subtle body or the nervous system? The nervous system is receiving the subtle body. Okay. The subtle body is receiving something else, but that's for a whole other conversation. Okay. But, but the, the the nervous system receives from subtle. That's where the broadcasts are. We're driving down the road. We're listening to the radio. We don't want to hear the song. We turn the dial. We can pick up a different broadcast. Well, we're driving in the car. That means that all of those broadcasts, they're in the car with us. They're unconscious to us, but they're there nonetheless. Well, the subtle holds a lot of broadcasts. There's AM. There's FM. There's, there's XM radio. There is a tremendous amount of information. The nervous system is what picks it up and funnels it into conscious awareness for us. So the idea is that the emergency care practitioner isn't giving their energy, isn't putting their energy in. They're suspending their own consciousness, thereby allowing something that's always existing in the subtle body of the practitioner to be received by their nervous system, which in turn seems to allow the same process to be undertaken by the client. So it's not coming through the practitioner. It's not coming through. It's Think of it like this. In the body, we have a lot of things called enzymes. And enzymes cause reactions, chemical reactions, to occur at a much greater rate than they otherwise would. It, in many cases, the reaction chemical A would not be able to interact with chemical B in any way at all. But you bring an enzyme in, and bam, chemical A and chemical B can literally begin to react and interact millions of times a second. Emergence care is like an enzyme, if you will, that allows something that's always been resident within the range of possibilities of humanity to start taking place. But something has to initiate the reaction. Something has to be, if you will, the causative agent, because our consciousness quite literally dissociates from our awareness what we truly are. There are meta many metaphors for what we truly are. Christ, Buddha, higher mind, Buddha mind, higher self, spirit, again, all these metaphors. And when the practitioner can suspend conscious awareness for just a moment, which is hard to do, it requires a tremendous amount of focus, but anyone can do it. It's not, it's not special. It doesn't require a tremendous amount of training, it does require a great deal of willingness to go beyond oneself and say, 
what I'm searching for literally exists outside of my personality does take a great deal of willingness. When that willingness can be brought to bear, something automatically starts to happen. And so we talk about how energetically, when the practitioner can put themselves into this state that we call presence, which I've been describing, something thereby can be picked up by the nervous system of the practitioner. The practitioner must put themselves in this state first, thereby allowing the client to potentially do the same. And, and you said it very clearly. This isn't coming through the practitioner, and it's not being brought into and delivered into the client. It's already there, and this just helps the client tune into the broadcast of it, if you will, to change the channel so that they can perceive it and say, wow, I had no idea that this was there. And this other broadcast that I'm describing that exists in the subtle body is very healing. In fact, that's what healing is, is when we can allow this broadcast to be received by the nervous system. So the energy doesn't change. It's there. The nervous system, the receiver, picks up on a different broadcast. That can, as a result, change how we experience consciousness, which is a projection and perception, and how we experience our physical bodies. So the nervous system is the one that is changing the channel. It's a great question. <laughs> and I would say that it's actually something in the awareness, what I would call a decision-making part of the mind, to momentarily not listen to the accustomed broadcast of my personal identity, of my egoic structure, and again, pardon me, instead, listen to the broadcast of higher self, of soul, of God, of Buddha mind, of Christ mind, of something that's far and away transcendent to my lockstep personal identity and go into something larger. So the practitioner is getting out of the way and the uh, receiver, for lack of a better term, is getting their personality, their ego, out of the way. Mm-hmm. And then the, something is received in the neurology. Mm-hmm. Then what happens? And, okay. So think of it like this. Somebody's going along in their car, or they're at home, they're making dinner, and suddenly they have this tremendous spiritual epiphany. They're, or someone has a profound near-death experience. Someone becomes uh, enlightened, which, you know, very rarely, but happens where, boom, it just seems to happen. And nothing took place with the nervous system to allow this to happen. What's happening, though, is their personality is no longer blocking what was always there, knocking on the door saying, please let me in, please let me in, please let me in. And what that is is what we truly are, again, higher self, soul, higher mind, Buddha mind, Christ mind, Christ consciousness, again, whatever, whatever metaphor, it's always already there. And our personality, just for a, if it can stop blocking it, but it's not that the nervous system changed, it's that the nervous system began to pay attention to it. Ah, okay. 
All right. So the nervous system starts to pay attention. Then what happens? Okay. I'm going to stay with what we were going because often we'll think, oh, I've... What we think is, I've got to purify. I've got to purify. I've got to clear my karma. Sure. I have to... Because I'm oh, dirty. I'm a sinner. I've got, to, I've got to clean stuff up right. before, before I'm worthy. I've got to deal with my past lives. Oh, I know. I've got to... I've got to optimize my neurological function. That's it. But we believe that something has to first happen. Sure. Nothing has to happen. What's because also it's interesting, there. we're already we're already there believing that something has to happen. So there is no optimization of the nervous system. There is no purification. There is, let me put all of that aside, and it's already there. And again, it didn't have anything to do with the nervous system. It didn't have anything to do with karma. It had to do with no longer dissociating it from my awareness. Okay. It's a big one, granted. But again, it's not to do with the nervous system. It's not to do with purification rites and rituals. It's to do with the acceptance of, wait a minute, I am that. I really am that. You know, it's the height of narcissism to say, I exist separate from God. And this is simply saying, now wait a minute, if I stop being me, that's what's there. There's no if, ands, or buts in that. When I stop being me, boom, that's what I am. It's that I don't want to stop being me. And we say, oh, this is too hard. Well, yeah, it's hard to give it all up. That's what this is, though. But it's not really that there was a shift energetically, that there was even a shift neurologically. It's there was a shift in perception. There's a shift in perception from the egoic structures into, oh, my God, I had no idea how much love was always already there. And then what? Somebody that I'm very fond of that I've learned a great deal from is a woman named Byron Katie, who, by the way, had this experience in 1986 where her personality vanished, and there she was saying, who am I? What is this? Had no idea. And Katie said something quite brilliant, and I would say is applicable in our world. And she said, personalities don't love. They want something. And what I find happens when people can repeatedly go into this state is that they can see the personality. The personality, for the great majority of humanity, try as they may to meditate it away, to medicate it away, it just keeps showing back up. But I find that the personality learns not to trust itself so much, not to want so much, not to cannibalize others so much. It begins to say, wait a minute, I missed the point here a little bit. It begins to invite love in. It begins not to fear it, which is something that Freud was all over, is that we, on an unconscious level, free what would set us fear, pardon me, we fear what would set us free. We, he called this unconscious resistance. He said that unconsciously we resist everything that 
would help us. We resist the process of healing and that we self-punish. Well, what I find is that this Freudian resistance that he spoke of, we begin to get a small handle on that and, and stop resisting and stop defending and stop holding out and wanting to be such a ruggedly defined individual, me against you, me against the world. And we begin to question everything. We begin to question our personality. And the only way that we can do that in a sustained way is to let something in that will slowly, gradually help our personality dissolve so that we can realize what we really are, which is love. Well, what's left to experience that love? I mean, if, uh, if I let this love thing in and I uh, dissolve this Jeff thing, what ha what's, what's there to love? What we are is love. But, Jeff, today, have you, ever, have you had an experience in which you felt stressed or you felt suffering or you, you felt maybe a little depressed? The answer is from all of us is, is of course, you know, it's, it's not right or wrong. That's normal to a personality. But I ask a lot of people, today, did you have an experience of absolute ecstatic love, of complete oneness, of knowing everything is okay? Did you have an actual physical or neurological personal experience of euphoric, rapturous joy? And people say, well, no, of course not. <laughs> so what's left? It's that. That experience of ecstatic, rapturous joy. Until or unless we're experiencing that, we're coming from the baseline of the personality, and it's the personality that blocks that experience of love. What's left is what we've all wanted, which is the knowing of what we are, which is the peace, the joy, the the nirvana, the, the, the jhana, that, that's what's left. And, you know, I've yet to see anyone who literally had their personality completely dissolve and never reappear. I've seen many people have it greatly weaken for a period of seconds, minutes, or even a few hours. But darn it, it always seems to come back, and it's at that point that the person says, oh, how do I get back to where I just was and so really it's quite the opposite it's not what's left it's well if i could only if i could only learn not to resist as freud said or as katie said not to want something so much i'd realize that's what's always there what's left again it always comes back to the same thing love hmm. so energy Neurology. Now the physiology. Where, where the rubber meets the road, where, uh, where I'm living 99.9% .9 of the time. Okay. How, how so, does that translate? Sure. Again, it seems that the nervous system is, if you will, it's a receiver, and I'm greatly simplifying matters here, but nonetheless, it does receive a broadcast, and that broadcast is contained within the subtle body, often called the subtle mind. So energy transfers into neurology, through intermediary structures. These things have been described. These intermediary structures have been described for thousands of years. They have names. They are called nadis, 
There's a, a main one called Shishumna Nadi. There are things called chakras. There are things called meridians. And again, they exist in the subtle body, and they correlate and correspond with often central nervous system structures, with the brain, with the spinal cord, with the internal organs, and so on, the main nerves and arteries of the body. So as the nervous system is enabled to receive information from subtle that's always been there but it wasn't able to access and it's entering into the nervous system it can begin to affect the physiology literally straight away I can I can tell you in literally thousands of cases where I'm working with a client and not touching them, not doing anything, no intent, no objective on my part, no, oh my goodness, this bone is out of place, oh, these muscles are locked up, and I simply stand there going into this place of presence, and their physiology melts. The muscle tension patterns dissolve. The spinal contours change. Where vertebrae have been degenerated, where discs are degenerated, that starts to heal. So it seems that when the broadcast from subtle can be brought into the nervous system's awareness, what comes out of the of subtle, what comes out of the nervous system can therefore change as well. And often in really dramatic and lasting ways, also find that we're talking about energy, into neurology, into physiology. There's another quality in here as well, energy consciousness, neurology, and physiology. Consciousness is, is a very specific thing. It's a subject, me, Stephen Teagarden, interacting with something that appears to be external to me, in this case, Jeff Hicks. Subject, object, interaction. Our experience as humans is that consciousness is, to a certain, to a, to a large extent, it's, it's a nervous system mediated phenomenon. We're unaware of how it really happens, and therefore, I say consciousness is actually unconsciousness because we don't know what it is. We don't know how it happens, and we don't know to whom it appears. Nonetheless, it does seem to happen. So consciousness is affected as subtle can be received by the nervous system in a different way. And it's not that my there's a suspension of my personal idea identity, it's that there's something else that is become, becoming simultaneously aware of. And this can be a very powerful thing. We can say, I never knew that this was possible. I've never felt that. I've never felt subtle energy. I've never felt such euphoria. I've never felt such joy. And then we immediately think, oh, I get it. Neurotransmitters change. That's it. Uh, something opened in the prefrontal cortex. I know it was the pineal gland. I know that was it. It had to be the pituitary gland. Oh, I know it was a change in receptor availability in my spinal cord. It was this, it was that. And we're always looking for a physical thing, and we miss the fact that what's really taking place is that I'm just syncing up with what's always already there. The challenge is, is that we, as egoic individuals, as individual beings, we want to make this about us. We want to make it some special thing that I now have access to, when what really it is, is me as an individual is giving way to what I really am. It's and not a two-way equation. It's a one-way. Hmm. All right. Well, 
Stephen. Uh, we've gone through energy, neurology, physiology, and we've slipped consciousness <laughs> in there. And uh, any uh, final thoughts on uh, this aspect of the healing and emergence care? Know that what you're seeking isn't outside. It's always inside of you. It's our seeking that often thwarts us. Someone that has been very influential in my life, he was an Indian holy man named Ramana Maharshi, said, there is no greater mystery than this. Being that itself, in other words, being God, being the absolute, we undertake practices and attempt to purify ourselves in order to find what we truly are. Just stop thinking, stop doing, stop believing anything, and you'll realize that's what you are. So what we're seeking, it's always there. It's not outside. We just have to stop doing what we're doing, and we'll realize how close, how near at hand it really is. Thank you, Dr. Stephen Teagarden. If you'd like more information about emergence care, please go to emergencecare.com. Thanks so You're much. You're welcome, Jeff. You're welcome. Thank you.